another episode of the Photographer Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Macy, and in this series, we explore how to develop winning mindsets, attitudes, and strategies to help us become better photographers and to develop our own version of success. And today is an awesome, awesome day because I'm joined by fellow Canadian photographer Dave Sanford, truly an amazing wildlife photographer. And what many people don't know about Dave because his online Instagram portfolio doesn't display it is that Dave is one hell of a sports photographer. He's shot two Olympics, I believe, around 20 NHL Stanley Cups and a Super Bowl. Needless to say, I'm really excited to have Dave on. So Dave, thank you so much for taking the time to spread the knowledge and to join me on the show. And as always with our guests, we start off by having them explain their background and how they got into photography. So have at it, man. Cool. Well, thanks for having me, Seth. I really appreciate it and uh, honored to be your first Canadian on the show. Yeah. <laughs> we'll drop a lot of A's. Yeah, I, I do that naturally. So, <clears throat> um, yeah, I kind of uh, got a start at a very young age in photography. Um, I was uh, really into the outdoors as a little kid and uh, thanks to my parents. And uh, when I was nine, I had gone to my dad and told him that I wanted to be a hunter. And when I was a kid, like the outdoors meant hunting and fishing back then. Um, right. It was very different, I think, from what people's conception is of the outdoors today. Um, and what you do, you know, in the wild. I mean, obviously people still fish and hunt, but yeah, um, it was the thing back then. And uh, anyhow, he responded to me with um, a story of his about uh, when he was a kid and the last animal that he ever hunted, um, which uh, changed his life and why he stopped hunting. Um, and it was just a sad story of, 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 you know, the babies running around the mother. It was a, a, a mink that he had shot with an arrow and just unfortunately, you know, like back the babies were running around and, and crying and that had a real impact on him, but, mm. uh, and he never hunted again. And then, wow. um, he sort of told me that story. And so he said to me, why do you want to shoot an animal with a gun or an arrow or something when you could shoot it with a camera and that animal can survive and you've got a nice picture right. that you can show your friends. So that was what, started me off in, in photography and he, he won a camera a couple of weeks later in a golf tournament and gave it to me. And I started taking pictures up at the cottage on Buckhorn Lake, um, of anything and everything. Oh, I know where that is. Oh, do you? Cool. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Buckhorn. In, in the Great, core cool. is, yeah. I spent <laughs> my summers growing up there and, and part of the early fall, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I'll be going back, uh, very shortly. Um, but yeah, I, I honed my skills on Buckhorn Lake and in a little ravine down the road um, from my parents uh, where I grew up. And um, by the time I got into high school, if I, I played a lot of sports. I've always been involved with sports. And right. when, when I was in high school, if I wasn't photographing a sport, um, then, or sorry, if I wasn't playing a sport, I was photographing. Yeah, you were taking pictures. Yeah. Right. And um when it came to what time, sport did you start off shooting? Like mostly, uh, pro probably football. Um, yeah. When I think about it, yeah, just because of the timing of the season, like football is always at the start of the school year, and yeah, um, you know, I was doing cross country. I do cross country, and then played. I would go into hockey, and um, like when it came to school sports, and 
Um, but yeah, I, I photographed everything from basketball to track and football, rugby, whatever it was. So if I wasn't playing it, I would shoot it. And um, I had a, a great love of sports and a passion for it. And same with wildlife. And I always did nature photography. I never stopped. Um, right. And when it came time to go to university for me, um, I applied to marine biology, um, wildlife science programs, different things like that. Uh, cause I had, I, I just loved animals and yeah. I wasn't smart enough to get into most of those programs. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I had a, uh, I, I had the photography skills, um, and, and a passion for that as well. And I thought if I go to, if I can get into Ryerson, if I can get into a photo program, Ryerson was the number one that I wanted to get into. It was just a photo program back then. Now it's, it's a multimedia program, yeah, uh, which makes sense in this day and age. Um, for sure. But it was, it was probably the most renowned photo program in, at the university level in Canada. And, and for sure, you know, maybe in North America. Um, and it w- was a tough one to get into. Um, but I was very grateful um, that I did get in. And my train of thought was if I can channel myself into sports photography, um, then maybe I have a chance one day at being a professional sports photographer and I can shoot things like the Stanley cup or the super bowl or the Olympics or something. Right. Which you've done. Yeah. And back then it was like, if I went the wildlife path, I can't just show up at an NHL arena or a MLB stadium and be like, Hey, I'm here. You know, I mean, whereas I can (laughs) show up at a, a forest or a lake or wherever, and I can still continue to do my nature on the side. Right. So that was the path that I chose to take. And, um, at university, I was really fortunate that my main prof, Dennis miles was a sports photographer as well. And he'd Mm -hmm. been shooting, um, you know, everything for, for a number of years at that point and was close with the Leafs team photographer, Greg Abel. So Greg's son went off to go to photography school in Belleville at, at loyalist, I believe it was. He needed an assistant. So Greg's son left. Dennis told me about, you know, Greg needing an assistant and got me a job with him. And, wow. um, and I was volunteering at the Hall of Fame, the Hockey Hall of Fame down the road in Toronto there. And uh, between those two, um, I was fortunate to have a lot of great opportunities, um, you know, come my way in university. And I also right. created opportunities for myself. I worked hard at it. I shot yep. every university sport. I became that became sort of uh, my gig in university. The, the university would mm. pay me to do all the team photos, action photos, to use them for whatever publications, literature, right. online, everything, right. newspapers, yeah, stuff like that. So between the Leafs, like Greg, the Leafs, uh, the Hall, all that stuff in university, I. I was able to help support myself that way and hone my skills and, uh, um, meet a lot of the right people along the way. And, um, as I say, I kind of made my own, um, you know, like I worked hard in, at, at my own success and I right. photographed 125 NHL games before I even left university and, wow. um, a few games at the international level and, I was interning on Olympics. You shot some Olympics too, right? I did. I've done two Olympic games and, um, I actually got asked to do, um, the games, the summer games coming up this, this year, uh, which obviously aren't happening now. 
Right. Um, I, I did have to turn it down because of another commitment. Um, but the, uh, um, so who knows, maybe another door will open up, uh, with it being postponed. Um, but, uh, the, um, but yeah, when, when it came to sports, um, it was, uh, a big passion as well. So, um, through university, I made those opportunities, uh, for myself and, and worked hard at it. And then when I finished, when I graduated, um, the fella, Doug McClellan that I interned under at the hall, he retired kind of surprisingly, um, from shooting hockey. So the hall of fame called me up and said, do you want the job? And, uh, yeah. I was right thinking on. like, this was September, you know, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm not going back to school. What am I going to do? And then I get this phone call. Um, <laughs> so that uh, I, it changed my life. You know, I, I'm like, wow, okay, here I am thinking I'm, I'm unemployed and what I'm going to do. And it's going to be years before I get into pro sports and, uh, yeah, right spot at the right time. And, and within yeah. that year, the NHL started their own photo agency and they'd seen what I was doing and they contacted me and, uh, NHL images was another. Yeah. What NHL images was formed and here I am 24 years later, still working for them. So that's awesome. So it's kind of interesting what you said. It's a bit of, it's a, a balance between being in the right place at the right time. Um, having opportunity come your way, but also, you know, it would be wrong to say that you didn't create those opportunities for yourself at the same time. I've been thinking a lot recently about, you know, and I don't know if you ever feel this way or maybe in your past when you try to force something and it just doesn't go. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just need to sit back and let the universe bring you things. Absolutely. Um, and, and if you've, if you prepare, if you've prepared yourself for it with, um, you know, doing all the work and, and all the hours you've put in, doors open you just got to walk through them and it kind of sounds like a story like that yeah yeah I, I i agree like my my dad he's always been you know one to tell me like um that yeah you put in the hard work and and things will happen and 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 you'll yeah. be ready when they happen and the other thing he's always said to me you know more came more from sports and playing sports when i was younger but he would always say always try your hardest because you never know who's watching and yeah, that is so true in what I'm doing with my life in photography, you know, like you, you work hard, you put your imagery out there and it's sort of like you're sending your baby out to the world, um, mm-hmm. in some regards. And as I say, you never know who's watching, you know, you might post something and you might get a phone call from a company who's going to be your next client or assignment, or you just never know. So yeah. Um, Especially with today's reach, the internet is essentially infinite in who you can can reach. Absolutely, um, you know, compared to pre social media and pre internet, oh, it's it's changed the world of photography. Uh, you know so much. Like I, yeah, I often think like when I started my career, oh, if we had the you know the internet the way that we did, yeah. and, or the way we do now, and social media and all these different outlets, like it's 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 been a game changer for sure, for sure. So, Dave. I got to ask you something. What's the difference in mentality between sports photographer, Dave and nature and wildlife photographer, Dave, is there one? Um, there really isn't much of a difference to be honest. Um, and it's where it's different is, is, is the actual like setting or the arena that you're in, you know, um, no pun intended there. Um, right. But (laughs) when the way that I approach them, is very similar. I've always said the better, you know, your subject, the 
the more passionate mm-hmm. are you about, are about that subject, the better you're going to shoot it. And I've grown up with this love of sports, especially hockey. Um, I've grown up with a love of wildlife and nature. Right. And I think that shines through uh, in, in your work when you have passion for something. Um, as far as how I approach them, the mentality is pretty similar because they're both things where you have no control over mm-hmm. the outcome. You know, you, you show up, you put yourself in, in the best position possible type thing. Um, and, and like I say, I've always tried to know my subjects well, so that helps me. Like I've always been a student of the game when it comes to sports. Um, it's no different with my wildlife. And the big thing about them is they're, as I say, they're both, uh, you know, you're at the mercy of what unfolds in front of you. It's not right. a studio. You don't have control over anything. Um, and you have to be ready to capture that peak moment in action. And, you know, no two shifts or no two periods are the same, no two quarters or halves or whatever. Like sports may look similar, but it's always going to be different. No two games, no two, you know, nothing is ever the same. And it's the same in wildlife or nature. Like if you miss something, you missed it. There's no do overs. So you have to, you have to know it and you have to be able to hone your skills in order to capture that peak moment type thing. So, so I approach them very similarly. Um, Maybe my mindset is a bit different because when you're in nature, you know, it, it, it can be very peaceful. Uh, there's times where I'm in nature and it's very chaotic, but, um, I think when you're in the arena, you know, there's just so much going on and I sort of, I almost tune out to that, you know, to everything right. that's around you and, and you're just yeah. in this little bubble. Whereas when I'm in the zone, when I'm, yeah. And I'm in a zone when I'm shooting nature, but it's a different zone because yeah. I'm so in tune to everything around me. Um, exactly. and that's the difference I think in the sports, it's like, I tune out the crowd. I tune out, you know, cause sometimes people are literally sitting on your lap or you're literally sitting on their lap. If you're on the baseline of a basketball court, right. um, and there's so many distractions. So yeah, you do have to, you have to focus and, and be attentive to what you're doing. And it's, uh, it reminds me of something, uh, my, my buddy does an Instagram live thing every Thursday where he brings on guests similar to kind of what I'm doing. And he had Brooke little bear on. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, who, yeah who Brooke's a friend of mine. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and it just reminded what you were talking about. Reminded me of something she said about, um, you know, to be a really good wildlife photographer, for example, or a really good sports hockey photographer, whatever sport, you have to be passionate about. You know, a bear. If you're going to shoot a bear, you have to be passionate about hockey. Otherwise, it's just not going to come through with the final image. You're, you're um, absolutely right. I, I something and, that like yeah. I get asked about all the time over the years is weddings. Um, yeah. Back when I was a student, I did a couple. I I knew before I even ever did them that I hated would hate doing them. Um, I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't excel at portraiture. I don't excel at uh, event photography where it involves photographing people. And that I, I I'm, I'm very social. I'm a people person, but when it comes to putting a camera in someone's face, I hate it. I, I, I become yeah. very awkward. Um, I don't have a passion for it. And I've turned down probably, between three and 400 weddings over the last 20 some odd years. Wow. And I tell <laughs> people, <laughs> I tell people that because I'm like, I'm not the one you want photographing your wedding. Right. If right. you, if you were a bear or you were getting married on ice or something and skates and hockey gear, different story. Um, yeah. Because, yeah. And, and I tell them that very reason. I'm like, I have a passion for that stuff. 
I do not want to photograph your wedding and I don't want to do it just for the money. And I said, right. you'll see that that will show in the work. And I don't want you to be upset with me or look at your wedding photos and be unhappy because, right. you know, and, and people are like, Oh yeah, but we want to support you. And I'm like, well, support me by inviting me to your open bar then, you know, like I'd rather be there <laughs> as a guest than, you know, there with a camera. And, and quite often if, if it is somebody I know and I'm there as a guest, yeah, I'll bring a camera and I'll take some candids or something for them, but just to um, appease them, right? But I'm not. Yeah, it's just it, it, if you don't have a passion for something and you really don't like doing it, it shows in your work, right? For sure. And I mean, it, I think people who aren't photographers who look up to who see another photographer's work who they think is amazing, they suddenly think that that photographer is good at every <laughs> every genre, right? Um, like for example, city stuff. I got no clue. <laughs> like architecture and things like that it's just i don't, I don't get i don't get it well yeah um, it, it, and, and it's no different for me like i know my strengths and weaknesses and, and when it comes to the sports side obviously portraits are a big part of sports i yeah. probably haven't done a portrait in sports and other than a headshot like a media headshot i probably haven't done portraits in sports in in 10 or 12 years it's just i don't excel right. at it there's other people that do so they get those yeah. people to do it. I mean, I'm, it's, a, it's, 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 especially with the weddings, it's a very noble thing to do. Like, Hey, I'm not going to do the best job. There's people out there who will do a much better job than me. Yeah. Please hire them. And yeah. And I do, I, I have a list yeah. of go-to people that I'm happy to recommend because it's not my thing. And, and I don't, I just don't right. want people to be disappointed and I'm not going to do it just for the money. Right. So to wrap up the, you know, it was, it was cool to hear about your sports photography. Cause I, I think a lot of people who are just checking out your Instagram probably wouldn't have known that about you um if for for an aspiring i guess you kind of covered it with with putting in the hours and, and being in the right place at the right time and, and knowing the right people mm-hmm. getting involved with those people what would be maybe one additional piece of advice for somebody who's trying to um maybe go down that less common path shoot as a sports photographer shoot like crazy and shoot any and every sport that you can um mm-hmm. and don't think that you have to shoot professional sports to be able to build those skills. Okay. So when I, like I said, when I was in high school and university, um, yes, I had a unique situation being at Ryerson and work and, and being a student under a sports photographer who was able to connect me. Um, but I shot like hundreds of high school games. I, sh- I shot hundreds of university games, whether it was hockey, baseball, basketball, volleyball. Um, and, what I did was, is as you say, I, I wanted to stand out. So I strobed everything when I was in university. I spent my Friday nights and my Saturday nights traveling on a subway across the city to St. Mike's Arena to set up, you know, two hours before a game, set up the strobes, right. and then break them all down after and slug them back in the subway. And that would be my Friday night. And my friends would all be out drinking and maybe I'd catch them at last call, you know, like, yeah. Um, and sometimes it really sucked. But it set me up for a really awesome career and life. Like those sacrifices yep. were, were worth every minute of it and ev- all the effort. Cause nobody was no, no university students were strobing basketball and hockey and things like that back then. So I right. knew that it would make me stand out and, and it did that caught the hall of fame's attention. Um, you know, it caught my prof's attention who, who, you know, set me up with Greg at the Leafs and, it was one of those things where that extra effort 
it, yeah. it paid off. So a lot of people are like, you know, they just see the, the pro sports as the be all and end all, obviously. And that's all that they want to do. And you, you can't start, you know, you, I mean, the athletes don't start, uh, you don't start as a hockey player, yeah. player by playing in the NHL, right? You work you your way up. You start in Timbits hockey. Yeah. You work <laughs> your way up and it's no different in photography. You know, you've got to hone your skills and right. that's a good analogy. And as long as you do that and, and keep pushing yourself. And especially as we were saying in this day and in, in age in the internet and social media, um, if you're good enough, people are going to recognize it. You're, you're going to be found. You're going to, it's just like the players. It doesn't matter if you're from, you know, Tuktoyaktuk or Toronto or, you know, somewhere in Russia or wherever, if you are good enough, they're going to mm-hmm. find you right in this day and age. Yeah. People will and find I, you. I truly believe that as well, that it, it doesn't really matter. I would, I would say maybe you have certain advantages being born maybe in certain parts of the world, but if yeah. you, at the end of the day, if you are talented and skilled, <laughs> you're going to be recruited somewhere and you're going to be paid for that service, whatever it may be. Yeah, for sure. Um, so moving on, I know, um, you're so much more than just a sports photographer. We've obviously covered this. You're a big wildlife guy, but I wanted to talk about this in particular because anybody who Googles you will see your incredible seascapes, your liquid mountains. And for people listening, when I say liquid mountains, Dave gets in the water of Lake Erie <laughs> with his expensive camera gear. And uh, don't worry, it's it's in water Aquatech housing, so it doesn't get wrecked. So don't stress out. <laughs> but he gets in the water during the gale force winds of November and shoots these crazy, crazy, crazy waves that are you know bouncing and refracting off each other, and they look literally like liquid mountains. I can't think of a better term to call them. I guess what I want to know is how did you get into that? What made you decide that was a good idea, <laughs> first of all, and how do you not get killed doing it? And just what's 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 the creative process doing that? Um, well, first of all, that was a good segue because the liquid mountains term came from, I guess, my mentor of shooting in the water, Warren Keelan. Right. Um, Warren, you know, I was posting the stuff on social and I'm sort of going maybe a bit backwards here, but he'd, you know, saw after he saw a couple of them, he called me up and he was like, you've really got something here. And, and he used that phrase. He's like, they look like liquid mountains, you know? And I was like, yeah. Can I, can I borrow that? (laughs) You know, like, and he's like, yeah, sure. And so that that's, that's where it was born from and, uh, and is now closely associated with that body of work, uh, which is still ongoing. Um, but yeah, Warren was the, was one of the huge inspirations for that because I started dabbling with, you know, experimenting with water housings, um, back in around 2010 or so. And it wasn't until like 2014, I think it was maybe, or early 2015 when uh, I reached out to um, a friend of mine, Donald, who is a a rep for, or an Aquatech ambassador as well. And uh, basically it was like, why Aquatech, you know? And he sold me on them. And the guys at Aquatech were phenomenal right from the get-go in getting me set up with the gear that I I needed. And, um, you know, I I bought it all and everything. And um, I took myself back to Australia, I guess I should went back to Australia. Um, but it was just a point in my career where, yeah, I wanted that change. I wanted, I needed to do something that was going to again, be different and help me, uh-huh. help me branch out in my photography and, and getting in the water because realistically not a lot of people are water shooters right. um, in the big scope of things. And, and I was like, this 
this is something I have, again, have a passion for. I've always loved the oceans and the lakes and everything. And, and it, it, you know, again, it just stems back to early childhood passion. And I'm like, okay, I'm at a point where this is what I want to do. And, and so when I went back to Australia, I reached out to Warren. I didn't know Warren. this was 2015. And I reached out to Warren through Instagram and asked him if we could meet up and long story so you short, knew Warren you knew Warren before the liquid mountain project I, I yeah I knew um I knew Warren as I say through social because my brother-in-law said oh you should follow this guy he's he's local you know and I saw his work loved it and so I'd been following following Warren I think for about a year before I mm. actually met him um and yeah that was in like early 2015 and he invited me to his gallery. He said, I got a half hour at lunch to chat. Well, like three or four hours later, I left the gallery. We clicked, <laughs> we, we clicked right away. I basically went back home to my sisters, got my water housing gear, brought it back and was in the ocean with Warren that evening for the first time with my Aquatech water housing. And it, and it was really nerve wracking because I'd never been in the water, you know, I'd tested it in the bathtub, uh, but it's, there's still those nerves, right? Yeah. And I mean, I've, you know, I've been in the ocean lots, but it's a completely different ball game when you're getting in there with, with a camera. And anyway, Warren gave me a lot of, you know, uh, advice and, and, and tips and everything beforehand. And then when we were out there, I'll never forget as we're wading in and he said, you know, when you duck dive a wave, don't hold the housing in front of your face. Cause he said, you're going to get smoked. <laughs> very first wave. What's the very first thing I do I'm holding it in front of me, bam, right in the face. So I learned that lesson right. pretty quickly. And, um, just as long as you don't do it twice. Yeah, exactly. It's okay the first time. <laughs> so Warren, he coached me for like three months in the ocean. Right and, on. um, I learned so much from him uh, in that time. And then later that year, when I was back home in Canada, um, I finally had the gear to be able to tackle Lake Erie. You know, I I spent tons of time on Lake Erie over the years growing up and Mm. knowing what that lake gets like. And it just finally reached a point where I'm like, okay, I've got the gear to do this right now. I have the confidence. I have the abilities and I right. really miss shooting in the water. It's been a few months and I'm like, all right, I'm going to try this. So went down to, to Lake Erie and in the fall of 2015 when they had a November gale blowing through and winds were over a hundred kilometers an hour, like right. close to 75 miles an hour, which is, is um, basically a level one hurricane. It, uh, yeah. And, and, and little did I know, like, I'll, I'll never forget. My dad was in Australia. My parents were there visiting my sister at the time. And he called me to ask me how it was. I was on the drive home and I said to him, I've got some really cool stuff, but it's really moody. It's really dark. It's nasty. I'm like, I don't know how people are going to gravitate if they'll gravitate to this stuff. And within three or four days of posting imagery online, people started gravitating to it. And and then that's when Warren messaged me and um, he, you know, he's like, you need to do an article for board Panda. So um, I put together an article for board Panda uh, with, I think, you know, maybe a dozen or 20 photos or whatever it was. I can't remember. And within like 24 to 48 hours, it had hundreds of thousands of views and my phone was ringing off the hook and the emails and literally yeah. like, 
overnight. It just things just changed and um, viral as it's called, right? Yep. And ended <laughs> up, you know, I mean, not just with Board Panda, but among other some other sites and and all oh, the outlets. weather network too, right? Oh, there was. I have. That was cool. I honestly, I think I have hundreds of links book bookmarked. Um, you know from right it just went crazy from around the world too i was i was cruising through each one of them like when you when you google your name and you go to images it's just liquid mountains liquid mountains liquid mountains it's It's, just you can tell that that was a really successful project for you yeah it 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 was life-changing it really was career changing um the cool thing you know it well one of the funny things about it was uh, I often heard back in 2015, 2016, like, oh, overnight success. And I'm like, I've been shooting since I was nine years old. Exactly. <laughs> this is yeah. not overnight success. This is yeah. overnight success for one project. But the right. great thing, like, like sort of we touched on before, is about being prepared. And right. um, one of the ways I guess I was prepared was when people saw that series, you know, naturally they wanted to look deeper in, into what I shoot and what I do. And I had that portfolio to back it up. You know, it wasn't like, oh, this right. is a one-hit wonder. It wasn't a one-off at all. Like right. there was more to discover. <clears throat> People opened that door, and it was like, oh wow, there's a whole vault in yeah. here. You know. So when you were shooting with Warren for the first time, mm-hmm. were you doing something similar to the Liquid Mountain project that you ended up doing, or what were you what were you learning with him? Yeah, I mean, I was shooting ocean waves, like you're. St- stereotypical nice curling barrel you know um you know and the in the the bluey turquoise water and and nice beaches and everything like it was it was that kind of stuff that um that i started out shooting in the ocean and then i started to branch off into over the years um into i guess bigger and more gnarly stuff um as my abilities grew my confidence grew you know um it's no different than Lake Erie. Like when I'm at the ocean and I'm at Lake Erie, um, there's lots of times where I show up planning to get in the water and then I'm like, Nope, not happening. Cause some common sense. It's just, yeah. I listen to my spidey sense. I like to say, and, um, I, you know, I I often just stand there and you, you, before you get in, you might be watching the water for 10, 15, 20 minutes, just to kind of get a sense of what's happening. And as I say, there's lots of times where I'm like, this is beyond my abilities, you know? Like, So what makes you turn around? Just literally that sense? Or is there anything else? Yeah. I mean, there's been times where I get in and it's like, whoa, this is way heavier than right. I thought, you know, this isn't safe. And, and I get out right away. Um, I've been pulled out a few times in rips and, but I, I mean, again, these are all things I've learned over the years. Like I don't panic. Um, right. You just sort of, you know, you got to just literally go with the flow and maybe you get a longer mm-hmm. swim after. Um, but when you panic, that's when things can go you wrong. Tired. You get tired. Exactly. So, um, <clears throat> and yeah. And I mean, I've, I've definitely challenged myself and pushed some of those limits for sure. And, and I've, um, and as I say, I've, I've learned what I think I'm capable of. And, and I've always said that, to shoot in water like that, you, you have to have obviously have good s- swimming skills. Um, right. but you also need confidence, but you don't want to be overconfident or cocky. You have to know your own limitations. You have to be able to read things that way. And, um, 
Yeah. If you don't, think, otherwise you're putting yourself and potentially somebody else in a dangerous position. I think a good word to maybe categorize all of what you've just said, and, and not even just strictly to the ocean. It could be if you're in backcountry in Banff. Like, you just got to respect nature. Absolutely. Because if you don't respect nature and its power, you're, it's going to take you for a ride and maybe not a very nice one. Exactly. You're, you're so right. Whether it's predators, whether it's water, ice, like there's just, there's so many things out there that, um, I, I know <laughs> I joke about it all the time, but like my mom's always, uh, even, even in my forties, my mom is like, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Right. I, I like looking at the end results. I don't want to know, know it do it. how yeah. it was made or what you went through. Like, so no, I feel that. Um, so <clears throat> as somebody who at this point is already like, let's, when was this 2014 when you were, when you went to, to Australia to 2015 was the first time in the ocean with okay. the camera. Yeah. So 2015, you know, you've already have years of photo experience under your belt and you're still going out and searching. I don't know if mentorship is the right word. Um, but I guess what I'm saying is just somebody who's already as skilled and experienced as you, you never want to stop learning and i think that's so important that the learning curve never ends and even you and i were talking about before we started recording was um you know you were signing up for for seven week post-processing courses and it's just i think really important to know for people who are listening that someone as experienced as yourself is just never down to stop like you always want to keep learning exactly is it it to to just be open to that idea it's extremely important i think i i it's something i talk about all the time in photography with all kinds of different people um i think anybody who knows me in the photography world would um agree that it's something that i I bring up a lot that um i've always said that you have to keep learning and evolving especially especially in this digital era you know like it's just such an ever-changing and evolving industry and if you don't stay on top of things you can get left behind in the dust and you have to keep pushing yourself you can't be um you can't be complacent about things you know like that whole oh it's good enough kind of to me it just doesn't fly you can you can skate by like that for a while but eventually it's going to catch up to you and mm. other people are going to surpass you and their work is going to get noticed and not yours. And so, yeah, you have to, you have to be an open book. Um, nobody knows everything about photography, you know, exactly. like there. So the way I look at it is all the, the other photographers that I know, the editors, um, videographers, storytellers, whatever it may be, I, I love being around people like that. And, and, and especially too, in sports, I love being around the different athletes in wildlife, being around researchers and scientists and everything. Cause I get, I'd learn about my subjects, yeah. you know, like I absorb all that stuff and it makes me a better photographer. And, and when it comes to the photography part of it, yeah, like maybe it's a post-processing tip or, or just a, a travel tip or a gear t- tip or who knows, there's just mm. so many things to learn. And and I think when you close yourself off to that, um, you know, it's you're you're closing yourself off to a lot of opportunity, especially down the road. So, and yeah, I don't know if you ever feel this way too. There's always those one or two things that you walk away from a course or a learning experience with that just never leaves you. You know what I mean? Just that, like, it's like when you read a book, 
there's that 10% of the book that you will never lose in your memory. If right. that makes sense. No, it's just it, always that, that tidbit of information. Yeah. That it goes such a long way. If it, it may only be one thing, as you say, like it's it, right. It, and that can be the most valuable thing. You just never know. And, and, and all those little things add up, you know? Um, so as I say, just, just be open-minded and willing to learn and, um, not, you know, don't be closed. I don't think you're a know-it-all. You know what I mean? There's nothing right. worse, I think, than that. And, right. um, I, I get, and, and I'm one of those photographers too, who, when I was a kid, like if I was at an NHL game and I was that guy who maybe between periods would go down and I would, I'd, I'd tap a photographer on the shoulder and ask if I could speak to him or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I met some guys that were phenomenal and so nice and open and, and willing to spend a few minutes talking with me and, and guys who would, you know, say, here's my number, give me a call and I'll, I'll be happy to talk to you when I have more time. And then there was guys who were complete jerks who right. wouldn't give you the time of day. And so since I was a teenager, it was one of those things that I always said, I, I want to model myself after those guys that were the friendly guys the, the, that I looked up to that, you know, the, they helped shape my career and, and who I am. And so I always wanted to be that way. So, um, and I, and I think that I've held true to that, you know, whenever somebody approaches me looking for advice, I, I'm an open book. I'm right. not, there are photographers I realize that are very protective of, of things and, and, I'm just not that way. I'm, I'm, I'm an open book. I'll tell you how I did it and you know, all the ins and outs of it. So of course, of course, I think a lot of people are protective about, uh, location really, especially, um, this this has come up a lot in, in conversations I've had with, with past photographers, nature and and wildlife ones, especially is that um, is the one thing location for the sense of the, for the sake of the ecosystem. Exactly. I was just going to say, that's the one thing where I, I will draw a line. Um, there's been places that I've been invited to by other photographers and, and you're, that's, it's kind of like, yeah, it, it's not an unspoken thing. It's like literally, yeah. please do yeah. not tell anybody. And that's not because as you say, it's not necessarily because this is my secret spot and, and I don't want mm-hmm. anybody else to have content from here mm-hmm. um, or capture this animal or scene, but it's as you say mo- most often it's it's with regards to that ecosystem and the, and the pressure on it and the animals right. and you know word gets out and and it can go from being a very, very beautiful pristine area to a place that's overrun by people and the animals yeah. leave the area as a result and yeah. you know you just so that is one area where i get it's a sensitive topic and sometimes people get their back up because they're like oh what a jerk he wouldn't tell me but it's yeah you know and and i and i it's it's nothing personal <laughs> you know it's yeah it's 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 for the greater cause of um you know the ecosystem and the, and the setting around it exactly I, I found a i found a nice foxhole the other day in in crediton if you know where that is mm-hmm. near grand bend and uh you know i i i made it i was conscious about if anyone were to ask i'm just i'm not going to tell you right you know like, and it's not because I don't want you to get it. It's kind of just like, I don't, you know, I don't need you walking through the field or, you know, just yeah. scaring, scaring them out, especially with foxes. Right. Cause they den in the same place every year as, as you, I'm sure 
obviously no. Exactly. Um, and you want them to come back, right? So that, you know, you can keep taking pictures of it and, and enjoy it from a distance. Yeah. Um, so you were talking about how you enjoy, you know, running into scientists out in the wild, out in the wilderness, sorry, not wild scientists to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, scientists I know, I know some. Yeah. But, you know, because it helps you learn about what you're shooting. And one of the things I had written down was just maybe what your most difficult animal you shot has been. And maybe the process and preparation that went into finally capturing it. That's a tough question. Um, it's, it's tough on purpose. <laughs> um, I'm interested to know if you could pick one. Uh, I guess maybe we can cue Jeopardy music. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe sharks, white sharks. Yeah. And I say that because. Thank you for the easy segue because that's <laughs> of things to talk about. Okay. Here. I say that because it's one of those things where the first time that I did it, I was like, even just after a couple of minutes in my head, I was like, wow, this is beyond what I ever thought it was going to be. This is so much right. harder. Um, I thankfully evolved and gotten better with it over the years. Um, but I, I was with Warren the first time I shot sharks uh, with Calypso Charters in, in South Australia. And Warren and I were both the same. Like we're, we were both like we came out of the water and we're like, wow, like yeah. mad respect for the guys. All that imagery we'd seen <laughs> leading up to that, you know, it's like mad respect because it's, it's not easy. Um, I mean, first of all, there's, you know, the three to four hour journey out to the Neptune islands. Um, this is, you know, specific to this location, but, um, it's that far three to four hour. Yeah. Three to four hour trip, uh, wow. at about, you know, 12 knots. And I've been, I've done that trip in some pretty heavy swell. Um, like, you know, to the point yeah. where one time our captain, I asked him, I'm like, what, at what point do you not go? And he's like, this is it. We've, this is probably the roughest in, in all my time that we've gone out. And he's like, when we left the Harbor, he's like, I actually, I was going to turn around and he's like, but you know, we had five meter swell that day. And, um, so it's Damn. a journey and a task just to get there. Thankfully I don't get seasick, suffer from seasickness or anything, but, um, and then when you're out there, yeah, like, I mean, you're, you're near the surface and that cage is rocking, you know, on a day like that. Um, it's cause you're, yeah, you're, it just rocks in the swell and you've got tiny little openings to look out and bubbles from your, from your scuba. Yeah. You're shooting through a mask and you've, you've got your bubbles that, that you have to contend with. You've got the cage, the opening, your mask, the back of the housing to look through the camera. Yeah, that's a lot. Like it's, it's, it's challenging. And then, and then you throw this wild animal that there's no guarantee that you're going to see it. And they are, as you always hear about shark shows, they are the most stealth like creatures. And you always hear on the, you know, like the shark shows where they talk about people being bitten shark week. Um, and how they, it always starts. I never saw it coming. And once you've spent time with sharks under the water, you understand why, because they are like, they're ghosts. They, they appear really? out of nowhere and they vanish just as quickly. And you can be, you know, locked onto one as it comes towards you and swims past you. And 
it's not that far away and it just it vanishes like their camouflage is so good and depending on the light and the water conditions really? they just appear like you can be looking for a shark and you're looking 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 and you turn your head for a second and you look back and then boom there's a 17 foot shark two feet in front of your face wow. and you're like where did you come from you know like <laughs> um so, so I guess I was going to ask you, do they come from, do they typically great whites come from below from the side? But I guess the answer is no, you have no idea. No idea. Each shark is like a person, right? They have, they're, they have different behaviors, different right. personalities. Um, so they react differently to you. And some are super curious. Some are really shy. Some come, they check you out and then they're gone and others will linger mm-hmm. for hours. Um, they all have a different personality. So you just never know. And, but you do when getting to spend the amount of time I've been fortunate enough to spend out there, you get to know the sharks. And what's cool is about the Neptunes is it's, it's not a, they don't have residential white sharks that, that live there. They come from all around Australia as far away as like South Africa. Um, They've, they've been tagged and and seen them go all the way there, all the way to the, the West coast of Canada and the United States. Like it's crazy. So, right to see them back, you know, at the same time of year, year after year, um, it's incredible, you know, like it's such a big ocean and they can go. So have, you seen the, have you seen the same shark twice? I've, I've seen repeat, repeat customers over the years. Yeah. And, wow, and confirm, as I say, huh? those sharks have, have yeah. left and gone hundreds or thousands of kilometers away, but they return there for a week or two at the same time each year. And right that's constant all year round in, in that region. Um, it's one of the, one of the really cool things about it. And they come there because they feed on the sea lions. It's a big sea lion mm. population in the Neptunes. So, um, and as I say, they're all different. So, you know, the older, wiser sharks, it's sort of like, Oh, been there, done that. So they're not quite as curious. Maybe, um, right. some have breaching tactics where they'll go down deep and they shoot up like a torpedo and others just, linger around and they they you know more curious like the juveniles and and whatnot so it's it's different every single time you get in the water and the conditions are different uh some days it's super murky some days it's super clear some days it's really swelly other days it's not so bad and the water down there is pretty cold you're in the southern ocean so um i'm that guy who when i get in the water sometimes i've been down there for uh, like five, six hours at a time. <laughs> uh, maybe wow. I, I'll pop up once or twice just to take the regulator out. And cause those, they have a line that comes off the boat. So I, it's not like yeah. I got a tank that's running out. And, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I've got a, I'm cramping up. I've got a headache, <laughs> like, but I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not getting out of the water until they pull me out. Like that's my attitude. It's that. like, I never know when I'm going to get back there again. So I'm, I soak up every second I can. And uh, this year is one of those examples where this was, this year was the third, third year I've had my shark diving trip canceled for various reasons beyond my control. And uh, COVID sucks, dude. Yeah. So yeah, I I was all set to leave for Australia just a few days before the lockdown started. And um, so, yeah, unfortunately my shark dive trip this year was canceled. And uh, so that's why I say I cherish every single moment like right. i'm not exaggerating like when i'm getting out of the water it's like i'm still looking over my shoulder just in case so there's one more one more glimpse you know you're um, like a kid on christmas day i think you said that in your f-stoppers article exactly yep 
Um, I'm sure you would have enjoyed to spend your quarantine in a shark cage. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't have been bad. <laughs> um, but it, it, just to go back to the 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 uh, question I, I, I brought up about what, what animal was the most difficult to shoot, it, it, I guess the answer I thought you were going to say was in terms of, in my mind, was you know tracking it, how rare it is. And it was interesting that your take on difficulty was the actual pro the actual process from start to finish the boat ride, the difficulty shooting underwater. So that was kind of cool to hear. I like that. Well, I, th I think one of the things that's a given with white sharks is there really aren't a lot of them. Right. Um, right. It's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, I mean, it, you talk about the difficulty in, in finding them, tracking them. That's the, that is part of it. Like I was saying, that's why I said there's no guarantees, you know, mm. like I've been fortunate, as I said, I've been f really fortunate each time I've gone, like I haven't been skunked, uh, knock on wood. Um, but I've gone through days out there where it's like, wow, it's, it's not going to happen today. We don't have shark. And then all of a sudden it's like in the, you know, the 11th hour, boom, a shark shows up. And I've been right. very lucky that way. But yeah, like my last trip last year, like we had very few sharks and it was really difficult to make photos. Like I, I think I, I shot for a week and I produced less than, I think I don't know, seven or eight images. Um, mm. the water conditions were terrible. The sharks were very sparse. Um, so that's why I say there's no guarantees and that's, that's part of it. I, I accept that as a wildlife photographer or nature photographer, there are it's no guarantees. It is, it's part of the challenge and you're going to have way more disappointments shooting wildlife than you are going to have those exhilarating moments, you know, like right. there's way more downtime without worth it. It, it absolutely does. Um, it, you know, there's, there's way more downtime without the animals around than, than the time that you actually have the animals around. So, um, right. take advantage when you do and, um, make the most of the situation. Right. And it was cool to read in your, your article. I, I, there were so many I read, I can't remember. So, um, but you mentioned how, you know, just shooting sports was, was great, but there was always that itch that wasn't getting scratched, I think was the term you used. And it was really going to, to Queensland and shooting these sharks that did that for you. Um, maybe you can talk about how important it is to never be comfortable and to always, I guess, never be satisfied. Yeah. Uh, it's extremely important. I think like I, I, a question that I get asked regularly is what's the greatest photo you've ever taken. And my answer is always, I haven't taken it yet. Um, That's I can find answer. flaws in every single one of my photos. You know, there's as great as something may be to someone else. And, and for me, obviously I, I mean, I've, I've, think I've got a solid body of work. Um, yeah, <laughs> but, but I'm always going to find there's all, you know, it's, you're never satisfied. I think if you want to keep succeeding, it's sort of like, you, you just always can think like, Oh, I can find a way to improve on that. And, and it's no different just with the photography in general. Like it's, that's why I keep pushing myself. You know, I, mm -hmm. I'd like to take on new challenges and, um, you know, like, I mean, for the most part, yeah, I've shot wildlife and sports my whole life, but I, I think I've done a good job at trying to take, take, take those two different, uh, subjects or, or whatever and, and do something that is a little bit more unique, you know? Um, right. yeah. 
and, and, and really push that envelope. And like I say, like I'd been shooting on land-based animals for a long time, but it was like, no, I want to, I love the ocean. I love the lakes. I, I, I've been fascinated by all this stuff. So why, yeah, let's take this to the next level, like for, you know, mm-hmm. and, and get the water housing gear and get myself into the water and on a more regular basis and with a camera in the hands and, um, you know, and, and, and yeah, like doing things like going up to Alaska last year and taking my Aquatech gear, um, and, and doing like water housing shots in the river with salmon and the bears and doing, yeah. trying to do over under shots. Like it's, there are other people that have done that, but there's not a lot, you know, like a lot, it's a big effort to, to be able to do that stuff and pull it's it off. It's a big effort to set yourself apart. Cause yeah. I think it's, you know, social media, especially in the digital age is so flooded. I was having this, this idea, this conversation with somebody the other day that, it's very difficult to come up with original ideas in this day and age. Very, it, very difficult. It, it is. And I think, I think that's also in due in large part to why my Lake Erie series has been as successful as it has been right. because it's so, different. it's so different. Like in, in the research that I did and in the research that a lot of people who interviewed me did uh, prior to 2015, I don't think anybody ever shot it the way that I did. Um, right. And I think, as I say, I think that, that I can attribute that to some of the success because not only were these, these images, you know, unique, but, but it was like, nobody has gotten into the lake and shot it the way that I've done, you know, like, um, mm-hmm. and, and now what's super cool is I can go down to the lake like this past fall, uh, the first stormy day of the season, there was 25 other photographers on the beach you know, trying I, to do the same thing. Yeah. And wow. it's grown over the years. You know, I, there, <laughs> I, I, I used to be by myself and then it would be my buddy, Art, uh, Johnson, who would come with me all the time. Yeah, and shout out does. to Art, by the way. <laughs> exactly. Art. Yeah. Art, Art will listen to this and he's the one who like kind of introduced you and I, so that's very you, true. Art. So yeah, Art, um, so Art's always come down there and, and like, in all honesty, f- for a, a long time, it was just Art and I you know, and, and then, and then it would be like, you'd see half a dozen people and then a dozen. And as I say, it's the last few times there's been like over 20 people. And so how does that make you feel? I see you smiling about it. Does it bother you that that people are doing the same thing or does it kind of, you know, it's cool that I, that I sparked that. It's cool. I think I, I get inspired by others and if they're inspired by something that I've done to come out there and try it for themselves and see it, I'm like super cool. I I'm very comfortable. I'm confident in my abilities and my work. Mm-hmm. And I know that we, we touched on this a little bit earlier, like with post-processing, like I, I think I have a unique twist on, on how I process stuff as well. And so I right. know that my stuff's going to look different from everybody else's anyway. And, mm-hmm. um, some of my vantage points are definitely going to be different because nobody else has gotten the water down there. Um, and not that, you know, I'd say virtually every single person I've met that's come down there doesn't want to get into the water. You know, they're, they're, they're fine shooting from shore or the pier. Um, and, and I do a lot of my shooting from shore too, because it can only last in the water for so long. And, you know, when it's that cold and, and it's, it's dangerous. So, um, 
but shooting from shore has its own challenges as well with, you know, when sand is ripping off the beach over a hundred kilometers an hour and, you know, you've got, uh, like I, I've got water rushing right up over top of me. I'm, I'm right at the water's edge and I'm holding my mm. gear up and, you know, I'm still wearing waders or a wetsuit, you know, like it's, it's, that's going to be a pretty good workout. It is for sure. And, and again, too, that's one of the things, even when I shoot from shore, um, most people are standing up there a little further back and they're up on tripods. And like I say, I'm, I've got water rushing over top of me and I'm holding my camera right. up to protect it. And so even when I'm on shore, I'm still doing something a little bit different than everybody else, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I think it's super cool. I mean, re- I get really inspired by that. I I've never hid that, you know, the location or anything. I've always been open right. about it. And cause I, I, I always invite people to come down, like just watch it. It's, it's one of the most amazing spectacles in nature, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's yeah. worth, you know, I've had people come from Vancouver, um, from Quebec, from all over Ontario that, you know, people come up to me on the beach and they're like, excuse me, are you Dave Sanford? And it, oh, that's, that's crazy inspiring to me. Like that someone saw what I've done or read an article or whatever, you know what I mean? And, Mm-hmm. made the effort to come all that way to see it and try it for themselves. Like that's, that's the, that's super cool to me, you know? Yeah. Like, so, you know, that, that's awesome because, um, what I kind of wanted to end on was why do you do what you do? Like a very vague open-ended question. And it kind of sounds like at least part of why I guess photographers, why we do what we do is at the end of the day, hopefully is to inspire other people to try and capture the same experiences, whether it's just with your eyes or with a camera. Yeah, absolutely. And especially when it comes to my nature and wildlife, I think you, you nailed it right on the head. You want to inspire other people. Um, inspiration can come in many ways, shapes and forms. And mm-hmm. when it comes to my nature, one of the things that I'm trying to do as, as a nature conservation photographer is inspire other people to love and protect our animals and the environment. So I'm using, I'm not a scientist or a researcher or anything. So, um, I'm using the gift and the talent that I have to Mm -hmm. showcase to the rest of the world that this is something worth protecting. And, um, yeah, so there's inspiration in that regard, but there's the inspiration of like, as I say, I growing up had a lot of photographers that I looked up to and admired that were, were, super influential and and they were influential because they, they were friendly. They were, they were just being, you know, just nice human beings that, that wanted to pass on the skill set that they've learned to somebody else so that they can have an opportunity as well. And, and I'm, that's what I've always tried to model myself after, I guess, is, is being able to like, what's the point in, if you, if you have a talent or an ability or something, why just keep all that to yourself? Like, exactly. Yeah. Like I've, it's one of those things I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm just, you know, I, I can't see myself being in front of a, a classroom as a prof teaching like that, but right. in a, you know, in a casual setting or a one-on-one or, you know, like, I mean, I, I do talks and I do, I do right. workshops that where I partner up with other people. Um, and I've worked for a couple of organizations where I have to do that kind of thing. And, um, I, I, I mean, I enjoy it. It's, you know, and as I say, I, I love being able to pass on that knowledge to other people. And, 
and and then you see them you know do something with it like you see them blossom like as i say i've had people come up to me in an arena just like when i was a student and tap me on the shoulder and say excuse me are you dave sanford and you know i've done that where i literally i can think of a, a case i was in pittsburgh and a girl years ago rachel tokarski that's not her last name anymore she's married but um she was a student and she knew who i was and my work and i was running to get back post game to do some editing and that's when she she grabbed me and i'm like i'm really sorry i don't have the time here's my business card give me a call send me an email and she did and long story short rachel started to assist me in pittsburgh she started to assist the nhl when we had events and stanley cup finals and different things in pittsburgh and that aided her in in getting a job and a career in the industry and and um it was really cool to be able to watch her come along you know what i mean um it's sort of a bit of a time machine huh yeah because you're doing that exact exact same thing a few years earlier right and that's just one example there's there's been lots but i think that's one of the coolest things is being able to pass on it's i think it's a, leaving a legacy and leaving your mark and like you said what's the point if you're just going to keep it all to yourself why why you know what <laughs> what's the purpose exactly if you're not trying to share it with other people and inspire other people to yeah discover something or discover their own greatness right if you can contribute to that that's a feel good moment absolutely for sure well, more than just a moment it's it's i guess a, you could really classify it as purpose yeah 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 definitely it, you know what uh, i mean no, you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it, it's, and as I say, it, inspiration is a two way street. I say that to people all the time. Um, you know, even if it's a comment on Instagram, um, mm-hmm. you know, I take, I fuel myself from so many different outlets, I guess you would say. And, and when you can teach someone to do something and then you see them succeed, it's like, yeah, you know, like that was, that's yeah. cool to see. And, and, uh, you know, we're out there, we're sharing our work everywhere, you know, so why not share the knowledge that goes behind the work too, you know? It's- of course. And we were talking about social media before and how reach is just so far. It's essentially infinite. It, it is. Um, what, what are your takes on, on the digital age and social media? Um, I have a love-hate relationship with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it, all it's of a lot do. of effort. It really is like, and, and I think, you know, most anybody in, in, in the, in the, in the arts, in photography, in multimedia, whatever it may be, if you don't have a social media presence, you're, 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 you're losing out big time. I think, you know, Mm -hmm. it becomes such a integral part of being a photographer, I think. Um, and I think it's great to that you know like take advantage of it. You know what I mean? It's as you say the the reach is infinite and you never know when you put something up there you never know who's looking at it. And you know that might lead to a phone call where you know somebody might be calling you that is a, a potential new client or somebody that wants to buy a print or send you on an assignment somewhere, you know, editorials there's all kinds of different things um, right. that when you put yourself out there on social media, you are, you're opening your up, yourself up and your work, you're opening your work up to uh, this 
infinite realm of possibilities, I think. For sure. And yeah, take advantage of it. Um, cause it, it's there, utilize it. And so, as I say, it's, it's a love hate thing because it can do so many good things for you, but it can, it's time consuming. You know, you, if you want to do it right and have it be successful, you can't just throw up a picture, you know, like timing yeah. and, and, and your captions and, in, Hashtag. In, and yeah, and interacting with people, you know, you can't, ju- it can't be a one way street. You can't just be one of those people. Well, I mean, you can, some people have found success with it, but I try and interact with people. I try to, mm-hmm. you know, like, I, I don't want to be looked at, I guess, as one of those people who uh, I'm just take, take, take type thing. You know what I mean? Like, right. Oh, great photo. I love this. And I love that. Like, I appreciate that someone's taken the time to look at it admire it and take the time to actually want to comment on it, you know, like that. Yeah. Cause I say that I draw inspiration from all kinds of sources. So, so it's a time consuming thing and sometimes right. it can be a very frustrating and disheartening thing because you put all this work and effort into it. And I don't just mean like the post, but like it could be, you know, something that that's taken you years to get to this spot. And then, you know, the, the blood, sweat and tears that literally goes into it, the hours and hours and hours just to get a single moment. And it might be something so rare and, and literally you've put yourself in danger, your life on the line potentially, Mm -hmm. and you put it up on social media and it goes, yeah. (laughs) And the reason, you know, and, and, and again, like we touched on this a little bit earlier, but you can't look at that like, oh, I did something wrong. Um, and it's, it's hard to get yourself out of that mindset of like, oh right. my gosh, nobody likes it, or this is bad, or I did something wrong, when it, maybe it's just the algorithm that day. You know what I mean? It happened to me yesterday, Dave. It's it happened to me yesterday. It, it <laughs> happened to me yesterday with my whale post. That was one of my least engaging, least seen posts in years, you know? And- but you see, here's the thing. I love that photo, and it's an amazing photo. <laughs> So it just sometimes the numbers really don't like they don't mean shit. No, you're you're exactly <laughs> right, and that's why that's where I was saying you. I, it can be very disheartening, but you you have yeah. to try and look past that because um, you have to look at like I look at some of the comments that that picture garnished from yesterday. Okay, and that it's crazy inspiring, and the people that did get to see it loved it, and I've got someone that wants to buy a print of it and right. that all stemmed just from one Instagram post. So yeah, I'm looking I, at it right now. I don't look at, I, you know, it's again, it's easier said than done because it is disheartening. Um, mm-hmm. when, when you don't see a bunch of likes and a bunch of comments, well, it makes you question a lot of stuff. It does, you know, you know, and, and as I say, you go through all this effort and hard work and then somebody puts up a picture of their lunch or their shoes and it goes nuts. And you're like, I give up, you know, like, <laughs> you know what? I've really started to curate my feed. Um, in terms of like, I, 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 I'm starting to ask myself, does this inspire me? Does this person's content inspire me? And if it doesn't, it's out the window. Right. Because I got no time for your lunch. Sorry. <laughs> well, it's just, I, I, it's, it's one it's thing, I, crap. I guess I haven't got rid of those, but I've, I've always refused to like pictures of food uh <laughs> na- like fingernails that have been painted or whatever or toes and yeah. and shoes 
I'm just like, I'm sorry. I can't like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, no, but yeah, it it really does suck when something flubs, when you've, you know, driven eight hours and you've sat another 10 hours and you're so excited to share it with everyone. And then it just doesn't live up to the bar that you set. Yeah. Um, And what's helped me, I guess, is just really focusing because on a, on a separate podcast, I was talking about, we were talking with somebody about how it's human nature to focus on negatives from like a primal instinct. Like you focus on negative things in prehistoric times to avoid death. Like the analogy we used was, oh, there's a crocodile in the river. That sucks. We should probably think about that. But so I've made it my goal to really focus when something like that happens on the people who did care about it. Like right. The people who did comment, the people who did like it, they're not lying to your face. Like it's not a bad image. It's just like you said, the, in, in, Instagram's algorithm can be wacky. Yeah. And it's a conscious effort to not let that beat you up, I guess. Honestly, Seth, two nights ago, two or three nights ago, I had this very conversation with Warren. Um, with Warren. Really? Yeah, because I was really down in the dumps about like Instagram of late, you know? And and that's exactly and, and I say these things just like exactly what you said. But yeah. sometimes you forget them in those moments. And Warren was reminding me that like look at all these people that love this though. Look at exactly. all these people that make these comments and people that want to buy this or that put it on their wall. Like focus on that, focus on the positive and not the negative because there are still a ton, you know, it's just, it's stupid algorithms and robots that you have no control over. And yeah. as I say that it's, it's not the people that don't like it. It's, it's just that they're not even, they're not getting to see it. They're not even getting to see it. Yeah, they're not getting the opportunity to see it. So that's where I I get frustrated. But, and sometimes I do. I get so frustrated, I just walk away. And I'm like, I I don't even go near Instagram for weeks. Um, That's a good thing. And I think I learned that from doing some of my polar expeditions where I'm on a ship and I'm out of touch with the world for a couple of months at a time. And I remember thinking the first trip back in, in 2015 when I had to do that what am I going to do? Like my social media and my website, not like, and, and the first couple of days you're worried about it and you're checking your phone, even though there's no signal, but you quick, I quickly learned to let go of that. And I, I'm always grateful for that first couple of months I spent in the Arctic because it allowed me to come back to the real world or the society and, and be without my phone if I need to be without it or, say, you know what, Instagram's just really frustrated me the last couple of weeks, so I'm taking yeah. a break. And and I just don't do anything with it for a few weeks. And I think that's really healthy. I it's really a vacation. believe that we sometimes need those mental breaks from social media. Yeah. yeah, a digital vacation, I'll call it. This has been the longest podcast yet, though. So, <laughs> As I told you, I, I ramble, so... No, it's it's been Sorry. all really it's been all really good information. And uh, that's just a lot of the feedback I get feedback I get from these episodes is just like always very specific points that people pull away. Mm-hmm. And like you were saying, you know, it's, it's nice to hear that that impacted someone's life in a positive way and that they're going to go take that knowledge now and use it. So I guess that's my, my reason for starting this right. is, you know, invite people on who inspire me um generate some knowledge. deep discussions and and share the knowledge and if you walk yeah. away with you know two pieces of i call them n- knowledge nuggets from this from this hour 15 chat like that's time well spent 
Yeah, and, uh, I, I agree. And and even and sometimes it maybe isn't a knowledge nugget, knowledge nugget, as you said. Um, yeah, it's really corny. But it, it just just inspir- like just being inspired yeah. by hearing someone's excuse me, being inspired by hearing someone's experience or their exactly. their path or and, whatever, and relating to it. I was just gonna say, and they and maybe relate to that. Yeah, yeah, and like maybe even someone like yourself who I know I say this on every episode and social media numbers, please are not everything, but like even somebody with 54,000 followers, you know, verified and, and you've been shooting for years to hear you say that, you know, you face some of the bummers on Instagram when you post just like people, other people do, someone's going to walk away and say, okay, it's not just me. And that'll really build some positive framework, which I think will allow greater success moving forward and will allow you to enjoy the process and the journey more. And I think a lot of people quit early on when they face adversity um, right. because especially in today's day and age, it, it's so easy to compare yourself to people. Um, and I, I bring this up a lot. When I was learning in the, in the beginning stages of learning to shoot, there was no real Instagram and there was no Facebook. So I was sucking <laughs> without having to compare myself to people. You know what I mean? So it wasn't discouraging because everything I took in those beginning stages, I thought was awesome. Like I was my own biggest fan. Um, and I think that's so healthy. And, and I, I, I feel bad for people who are, I don't, I don't know if I feel bad, but it, I think you're certainly at a disadvantage if you're starting in today's day and age with social media and you fall victim to that comparison. It, it, you're right. Cause I think for a younger person um, without the experience, the real world experience. Yeah. Social media could be extremely deflating um, mm-hmm. because, as you say, too many people focus on the negatives, as in, like, it didn't get enough likes, you know, it's, it's, right. it's and that's not what it's about. And it's funny. I know there are people that are going to listen to this that I vent to <laughs> about <laughs> things like Instagram and social media um, periodically. But, um, I, you know, you sort of have those venting sessions because you're reminding yourself of all these things, you know, like it's self-talk, self-talking yourself through it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Dave, um, longest episode we've had yet. Um, I'm really glad you came mm-hmm. on. Very thankful. New record. New record with a couple Canadian bros. Um, we didn't say sorry too much. We didn't say a too much. I don't think, but again, really thankful and appreciative that you came on the show and for sharing all this information with people and hearing your story is really cool. Um, I know that now I want to get in a shark cage at some point, as difficult as it sounds. <laughs> hit, hit me up when you do. So <laughs> Because I would be very, very down to do that. I'm not scared of the water. I'm not scared of sharks, I don't think. It might be one of those things uh, where you go skydiving and when you get in the airplane, it, then, you're, then you're scared of them. But No, if anything, <laughs> it'll, it'll, it will make you love them more, I swear. Like, honestly, right I've on. seen people terrified getting in the water like, or wouldn't get in the water and then do, and they, it's literally transform them so yeah i think that's what it would do for me even though i'm not even really worried about it to begin with but anything any last things you want to say any last shout outs and other than Um, that i think we thank you to uh again our buddy art johnson for uh yes art thank you suggesting uh myself to you and and because yeah i've enjoyed speaking with you and uh yeah it's been a lot of fun and uh people if they're interested in the um getting into shooting underwater they can check out the products that aquatech you use right on instagram i think it's pretty easy to find it's in your bio yep yep aquatech yeah they're in my bio and it's aquatech.net so 
dave.sanford.net, eh? And okay. uh, if you want to find Dave's work, it's just at Dave Sanford if you're on Instagram. That's at Dave. I think you should be able to spell Dave. Sanford, S-A-N-D-F-O-R-D. His work's amazing. Thank you so much, man, for joining me. Thank you, Seth. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, guys, for checking out this episode of the Photographer Mindset Podcast. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Dave. And if you're an aspiring wildlife or sports photographer, this conversation was right up your alley, I hope. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it would mean the world to me if you could drop a review or a rating. And Spotify, please add that feature. Until next time, guys, go get shooting, go get editing, and stay focused. See you next time.